What's up, Living Church? Super excited that you're joining us today. Yes, I'm in a different location. Yes, things look a little bit different. Let me tell you why. You know, at Living Church, things are changing and moving and progressing. And as you know, on Sundays, we're in a rental facility. We meet at Willie Pig Auditorium in Mansfield because we outgrew our previous location. We were doing four services there. And we said, man, we can't wait to keep reaching people until we build the next building. And so we went back to set up and tear down which is kind of a crazy thing that we do every single Sunday. Every week, we set up every speaker. We set up every wire and cord. We set up all of our power. Like there's literally giant cables we have to plug in that give everything electricity, every microphone, every singer, every instrument, all of that has to get set up every single week. And with all of those moving pieces, every once in a while, we have a inevitable technical difficulty. And this last Sunday, even with all of our preps and backups and things, it all just seemed to hit the fan because the devil is against us. And so we weren't able to capture the recording from Sunday. But guess what? We love you, our online Living Church community so much that it's Monday morning. We're back in our new North Campus and we're gonna present the gospel for you. We're gonna teach the lesson for you again so that you can stay engaged with what God's doing here at Living Church. So yeah, it looks a little bit different. I'm in an empty room with a few of our staff and so it's a little bit different feel, but who knows that the truth is the truth. And so if you're watching from home or from your car or from your office, I want you to engage in the same way that you normally would when there's a thousand thousand people in the room cheering because I know that this is going to be a message that you need to know and engage and put into your life. Here in Texas, it's been a crazy couple weeks with all the snow. Uh, if you're watching from the north, you don't understand what happens here in the south. Everything shuts down when it snows, and so that's what's been happening. And so I was just driving the other day to our north campus here, and as I'm driving, here's what I saw. I saw a car that was headed somewhere and this guy got off the road and straight drove into the ditch. And uh, man, it, it's crazy the number of people that have had accidents and issues, but we still had a full house yesterday at Living Church because nothing's gonna stop God's people from coming together. And so we took some time, Rachel and I, to just have a family moment and we went sledding. You know, I grew up going sledding and so we uh, got some tubs out of the attic and we pushed the kids down the hill. It was so fun, Titus had a little spill as you see, but it was so fun to go and build those memories together. But we've braved the weather. It's warmed up a little bit, and now we're back in God's house. And so we're in this new year of 2022, and the Lord has given us this focus, simply the year of Jesus, that we talk about Jesus all the time here at Living Church, but this year we're going to really dive into who he is and understand how much he loved us. You know, the Bible is full of examples to help us understand who God is. The first half of the Bible, well, the first two-thirds of the Bible is called the Old Testament. And the Old Testament shows us how God related to a family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that family then grew into a nation, and we see how God related to his people that how God loved them, how God was patient for them, how God was kind, how he provided for them, we see God relating to regular people. But then in the New Testament, Jesus shows up, Emmanuel, God steps out of heaven to come and live among us, and we see how God relates to us through Jesus. You know, Jesus, he did things like you and I. Jesus had a job, he worked for his dad, he was a carpenter. Jesus had friends just like you and I. He had fears just like you and I. He had wins. He had moments of loss. 
The Bible says that we do not serve a high priest in Jesus who cannot empathize, who can't relate to what we're going through. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus representing who God is. That if you've ever been curious about who is God, why would he love me, how does he care for me, we can just look at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus, he died to be our savior, but he lived to be our example. He died, he laid down his life so that you and I could find forgiveness, but he lived his life to be an example. An example of how much God loves us, an example of how God desires to be close to us, but also an example of how we should be living our lives. And so this year we're really focusing on who Jesus is. We're gonna take some time to look at his teachings and his encounters. The moments that he stood up in front of a multitude and he taught, we're going to look at some of those, and we're going to look at the moments that he just met regular men and women, and he had impact on their lives. By the end of this year, I'm super excited that as a church, we're going to have a deep understanding of who God is, how he loves us, how he cares for us, how he believes in us. And today, we're going to look at how Jesus selected people. Because the way that Jesus selected people is the same way that God selects people today. You know, Jesus had the greatest impact on human history than any other man who's ever lived. There have been more buildings built for Jesus. There have been more dollars donated in the name of Jesus. There are more hospitals built in Jesus' name. There's more uh, songs written about Jesus, more books written about Jesus. And the reason he had such this incredible impact is because it wasn't just about what he did alone. It was that he developed a team around him. He built a crew, a posse, a clique, this crew of guys that went through life with him and helped do everything he was called to do. And you and I, we know that crew that Jesus ran with as his disciples. <laughs> the word disciple is one of these super churchy words. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word disciple, I, uh, I think about like old pictures of like super holy dudes kind of like this. I think of these guys that look all put together and righteous and like they've got life figured out. And in all the photos, they have these big golden halos around their heads. And I'm like, man, what is even going on with that halo? But these guys look way better and way more put together than I do. Even in churches all across the world, we have art dedicated to the glory of the disciples. We have stained glass windows dedicated to them. We have giant marble carvings that are worth millions of dollars dedicated to the beauty of the disciples. But the truth is that a disciple is not necessarily what we portray in art today. In the Greek, in the original language, the word disciple, it simply means to be a learner. Someone who is just learning about Jesus. And if you're watching right now from home or from your office or just listening on audio, you're making the decision to be a disciple. You're taking some time to just get this truth of God's word into your heart because you are learning. In all four gospels, we see accounts of when Jesus called his disciples into a relationship with him. We see all of these incredible moments where Jesus just looked at regular guys and says, hey, come and follow me, come and learn from me, come and be educated and equipped so that you can do some great things in my name. And so today I'm just gonna read a few of those accounts so we can learn some details about what it means to really be a disciple that's following Jesus. First is in Mark chapter three, verse 16, it says this. 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, I love this detail about Jesus. Every time he calls a disciple, they already have a job. There's something about God being attracted to work ethic. There's something about a man and a woman who is already doing something that God pays attention to. You know, the Bible says that we need to do all we do as unto the Lord. So I know that right now you might not like your job or your coworkers might be driving you crazy. Do that work as unto the Lord and God is attracted to that work ethic that you have in your life. So Jesus, uh, he sees them casting the nets in the lake for they were fishermen. And then he says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Verse 18, Jesus says three months later, after they figured out every detail and after there were no complications, after their family members agreed to their calling, then they followed him. Is that, is that what it says in the Bible? I don't think that's what it says. Jesus called them and immediately it says, at once they left their nets. The disciples at once, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. They didn't wait for everything to come together. They didn't wait for everything to be comfortable. They didn't wait for their mom and dad to be like, this is a good idea. But they were obedient to what Jesus was calling them to do. And sometimes when God calls us, it's different than what we had planned. But when we make the decision to be a disciple, then we're going to step into some things that we might not be sure of. At once they left their nets and they followed him. So those were the first two disciples. And then look at the next two. It says, when he had gone a little farther, Jesus still walked along the shore. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. These two brothers, they left their dad's plan. I can imagine that ever since they were little kids, since they were little boys, that Zebedee, their dad, was like, boys, James and John, when you grow up, you're going to grow up and be fishermen. You're going to go to fishing school, and you're going to learn how to catch fish, and you're going to go to the market and sell them. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus shows up, and he's like, hey, guys, I want you to follow me. The plan that their dad had for them their whole life in this moment, they had to choose. Am I going to follow what my dad has said, or am I going to follow what my heavenly father has said and step into the more than I know that God has for me? And they chose to make this shift and to follow after Jesus. It was incredible that they became disciples. You know, in my life, I've heard a lot of teachings about the disciples. And I'm going to talk about who they are and their backgrounds in just a second. But instead of just talking about who Jesus picked, I want to talk about who Jesus didn't pick. Not just about who the guys were on his team, but I want to talk about the people that Jesus overlooked. You know, Jesus didn't go to the temple to find his disciples. He went to the fishing dock. He didn't go to the place that a spiritual leader should go to find his posse. Instead, he went down to the fishing dock with a bunch of thugs. Jesus didn't go to the palace, but instead he went to the street corner to find some men that he could call to follow him. Jesus didn't look for men and women from perfect and elite families, but instead he just found people who were willing, these unschooled, ordinary men. Jesus always looks for greatness in unassuming places. And man, that's good news for me. 
that I didn't come from an elite family. My mom and dad are just regular people. I just grew up in a regular neighborhood without anything special, but yet God looks for greatness in unassuming places. Jesus loves picking the person who wasn't voted most likely to succeed. Yeah, I don't know about you. Do you remember in high school where you'd get your yearbook and like at the back of the yearbook, there were those pages that people would be voted on and they would say, uh, you know, cutest couple or nicest car or best hair or best dressed or whatever. There was always the person that was voted most likely to succeed. And yesterday after I preached this at Living Church, I had someone come up to me and say, Pastor Trustin, I was voted most likely to succeed in high school. And I was like, good for you like fantastic. But what I know about God is that God loves using the least likely. He loves using the one who is always in trouble. He loves using the class clown. God loves using the person that found themselves in detention way too many times. God loves using the person that we don't expect that he would use. Here in Mark 3, we see some of the attributes of who Jesus is is drawn to of who Jesus is calling to be a disciple. Let's point out just a couple of those. First, we see that the disciples were willing to follow immediately. That right when he called, they stepped out. They didn't let time pass. When I was a kid, uh, if I was told to clean my room and I would tell my parents, I'll do it later, my dad would always say, trust and I need you to know that delayed obedience is disobedience. And I would get mad every single time they would tell me that. Just because we obey eventually doesn't mean that we're living in obedience. And a disciple is someone who immediately steps into the things that God would call them to do. The next thing we notice out of Mark chapter 3 is that the disciples, they chose to leave something behind. They had this vocation. They had their nets. They had this thing they were accustomed to, but they had to make a decision to lay that down and to step into the more that Jesus was calling them to. They left their career behind. And that doesn't mean that necessarily you have to leave your career, but we all have something that maybe we need to leave behind so we can continue to follow Jesus. Maybe for you, it means that you need to lay down some comfort or some ease. Maybe you're a person who used to attend living church in the room, but now after COVID, you find yourself only attending living church here online. Listen, we love you. We're glad that you're here. It's the reason we're re-recording this message today is for you. But can I just ask you, Maybe it's time to lay down that comfort of pajama church and get your butt back in the seat. Come on, somebody. That you would show back up on Sunday. We have to lay down some of that comfort to really step into being a disciple of who Jesus is calling us to do. Maybe we need to lay down some relationships, that friend circle. I remember in college that there was this group of guys that if I hung out with them, I would be getting in trouble. I would be doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing. I would be making decisions that I shouldn't be making. And so I had to make a decision to lay down some of that comfortability of relationship and step into new things. Maybe for you, you need to lay down a pattern, a habit, an addiction, a time waster. Maybe there's something that's just snuck into your life that's stealing the thing that God's called you to. You find yourself just on your phone way too many hours. You love playing video games, but it's turned into a little bit of addiction. Maybe there's something that you need to lay down. I said at the beginning that maybe it isn't a career, but what if it is? You might be watching this now in 2022 or through the power of technology, you might be watching this in 10 years. And maybe you have a job that you found yourself doing, but you know you're called to be a missionary. 
You know you're called to be a pastor. You know you're called to be on staff at a church to help in some capacity. Maybe it's time to take that step of faith and lay down those nets, lay down that thing from the past and step into the more that Jesus has for you. The next observation that we can find in Mark chapter three is that these fishermen were willing to work hard. You know, if you're a fisherman back in the day, it's a hard job. You're up early, you're casting nets, you're dragging weight into the boat, you're putting it in a wheelbarrow and taking it to the market and hustling to sell it. It's hard work. And these guys were willing to work hard. But as a disciple, we have to understand that following Jesus is not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes the things we step into isn't simple. You know, right now in the season at Living Church, every Sunday, a group of men and women show up at 6 a.m. to help with setup every week. This last week, it was 18 degrees on Sunday morning, but still 40, 50 men and women showed up to help set up a place. That's hard work. It's not always easy. Pastor Whitney and I were just talking about this week about what's the future going to look like if we keep only having Christians who want to do things that are easy. We have to be willing to step into hard moments and say, God, I'm going to be faithful to do the things that you've called me to do. So Mark talks about the moment that Jesus selected his team, but so does Luke. And so in Luke chapter six, starting verse 12, here's what it says. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. I love this little detail that even Jesus, the son of God, when he would face challenges or questions, he would pull away from everybody and find a moment to pray. And maybe for you, you're facing a trouble or a challenge or a difficulty, When's the last time you went to the mountainside? Now, I'm not saying you need to get in your car and drive to Colorado and drive up some mountain. What I am saying is maybe you just need to take 20 minutes in the spare bedroom and talk to Jesus and say, God, what is it that you would have me to do? And so Jesus, he takes the night to pray. Verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him. You know, theologians believe that Jesus actually had hundreds of disciples that were following him at this moment because the chapter before in Luke chapter five, Jesus was in a house teaching and the house was so crowded. Y'all know the story. It was so crowded that four friends brought their paralyzed buddy onto the roof and lowered him down through the ceiling. So Jesus has hundreds of disciples, but look at what it says. It says, and he chose 12 of them. Jesus looks at this big group and he says, out of this big group, I'm going to pick a few of you to take the next step, to step into the more that I have for you. And it goes on and it says, he chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. Another name, another delineation, a separation from just learners into now becoming an apostle. And here's the list of names. Verse 14, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, that's a good one if you're pregnant out there, uh, that's a good baby name, <laughs> uh, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, that's his political affiliation, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor. Look at it again, verse 13, he chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. Apostles, it sounds like another really churchy word. 
It sounds like stained glass windows and robes and those little weird collars. It sounds like something that's separate, something that is like this elite status that it's hard to get to. But the original word, the Greek word for apostle is simply this, a messenger. Just someone who's willing to tell the story, someone who is sent to go out and tell the message of Jesus. So a disciple is just a learner, and an apostle is just a teller. Their job is to go and tell and share. What are they supposed to say? They're just supposed to tell what they've seen and what they've heard. And sometimes we make it so complicated as Christians. We think that we have to go to Bible college and sit through all these courses and that we have to memorize so much scripture. But to be an apostle, all you have to do is be willing to talk about what you've seen and what you've heard. What's God done in your life? What life change have you seen? What messages have impacted you? What things have really gotten into your heart that you can share with people around you? Jesus has this big group of disciples but he calls them to take the next step from being learners to stepping into being tellers. You're called to not just learn, but to tell. We see this played out in Luke chapter eight as Jesus heals a man who was demon possessed. And this guy was rough, y'all. He was a mess. This dude was a disaster. The whole state was afraid of him. They locked him in caves and Jesus comes along and he sets the guy free. And after this man finds freedom in Jesus, he wants to become a disciple. So Jesus sits down and has a conversation with him. He teaches him some things. And then Jesus says, instead of following me to be a disciple, I need you, sir, demon-possessed guy just an hour ago, to become an apostle. I need you to go back to your hometown and start telling people what you've seen and what you've heard. And through this one demon-possessed man's influence, an entire city was brought into a relationship with Jesus. You see, I don't care what your past is. I don't care how bad it's been. Jesus wants to call you into a new level to start telling people about him. So let me show you how it looks. You know, in the Bible, Jesus, he has this process that he wants us to be stepping into through life. All of us, we started out as a new believer. We started out as a baby Christian, someone who was just in a relationship with Jesus. And so this is the beginning that God has. He says, this is where you're starting. This is the moment that you ask Jesus into your heart. But the next step after we're a new believer is that we step into being a disciple. We're now positioning ourselves to learn from him. So this is the next step in our spiritual progression is that we're a disciple. And then we just read that there's a delineation that many people are disciples, but the next step of maturity is not just for us to be a disciple, but is us for, to step into becoming an apostle. So Jesus says that I want you to step into this new position of authority to be an apostle. So this is the progression, that we start as a new believer. After we're a new believer, we submit ourselves under the teaching of Jesus. We're now a disciple. And then we progress into becoming an apostle. So I've already given many of the definitions, but let me just illustrate it for you today. So we start here as a new believer, and we're receiving ministry. We're a receiver. We receive salvation. We say, God, forgive me my sins and come into my heart. And we receive forgiveness. We receive salvation. Then after we become a 
disciple, we're now positioning ourselves to be a learner. And right now, as you're watching, good job, give yourself a hand, you're learning. You're looking at the scripture, you're putting some new information in your mind, you're learning all that God has, but here it is, after we're a disciple, we step into becoming an apostle who's a teller. This is the progression that God has for us, that we don't just receive, we don't just learn, but we start to tell. And I think the biggest struggle that we have in churches is people stall out in between the progression. I see it all the time that people will come to living church and they'll ask Jesus into their heart and they receive salvation, but they only view it as fire insurance. They only view it as this thing that's going to save them from hell and from judgment. But you know, the truth is that we need to be educating ourselves. We need to step into being a learner because the Bible says that the truth shall set you free. But it's only the truth that you know that has the power to set you free. You see, God's word is full of promises. And when we go from just being a receiver to a learner, we can now tap into the promises that God has for us in this life. Because remember, Jesus, he died to be our savior, but he lived to be our example. And we live our lives after the teaching of Jesus, everything changes. And so we're supposed to step into being a disciple. Let me ask you a question. Maybe you've been watching sermons online for a long time. When's the last time you took some notes as you were listening? When's the last time that you really allowed what someone was speaking to you to sink in deep? You know, when you just listen to content, it kind of glazes off your head. But when you'll really drive that concept deeper through taking notes in the journal and reviewing it later, it helps you really learn what God is saying. Because discipleship is not just about education, it's about implementation. And as we step from a receiver into a learner, we need to be trying to apply the things that we're learning. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we doing with what we've been learning? So many Christians stall out here as a disciple, and they never make it into the next level of becoming an apostle, a teller. I think that uh, in the American church that we have a lot of spiritually obese Christians. It's kind of a hard thing to say, but we have so many Christians that have been consuming content, but haven't been outputting anything. And if all we're doing is receiving learning, but not doing anything with it, then we just become overfed spiritually. I see it all the time. I see Christians that they've been to every class. They've read all the new books. They've been to a ton of Christian Bible studies. They go to every Christian concert when it's in town. And those are all good things. But the question is, what are you doing with those things that you've learned? Listen, I'm glad that you're listening to this message today online. I hope that you're being fed from a lot of different resources. I'm sure that you've listened to Michael Todd and Stephen Furtick and Judah Smith and some old school T.D. Jakes. Come on with somebody that Jensen Franklin is dropping some truth. I hope that that power is getting into your life. And come on, ladies, you know I love women in ministry, so I'm not going to forget about Charlotte Gamble and Bianca Otwell and Priscilla Schreier. Come on, I hope that you're being fed, you're being taught, you're learning from a bunch of different sources. I know you're wearing the armor of God. I know you've been eating on the fruit of the spirit. I know you fasted and read through the Bible, but the question is, what are you doing with it? Like, what are you doing 
with all the things that you've learned. We've received salvation. We've been a learner, but now it's time to step into something more. If we're not careful, Christianity can become our new hobby. Christianity can become our new content category, and we're using Christianity as an entertainment activity. Christianity can simply become our new uh, Sudoku game. Christianity can become our new Angry Birds or Candy Crush. Christianity can just be this thing that we're eating content from. But can I tell you, telling people about Jesus is what we're called to do. It's the next step that God's called us. We're not only supposed to stay a disciple. We're supposed to step into becoming an apostle, a teller. And telling is done with more than the tongue. I'm not just talking about going to stand on a street corner with a track and asking people if they know Jesus. That's not the most effective way to tell Jesus' love to people anyways. We need to be showing it in our daily lives with people who know us. But the way that we really broadcast the message of Jesus is through serving, is through giving, is through our generosity, is how we're investing our lives in helping other people. You know, I heard a missionary say once, he said this. He said, churches that don't evangelize eventually fossilize. Man, it's true. Churches that won't tell, that won't become an apostles, churches that only receive and don't give eventually turn into fossils. They eventually grow old and decrepit and weak and sick, and the church eventually dies. We have to have the mentality that we're not only here to be receivers, but we're here to be givers. You know, yesterday, Sunday, we were exactly 70 days away from Easter Sunday. And we love Easter here at Living Church. We joke around and call it our Super Bowl. It's when everybody in the town wants to show up and put on their little pastel suits and show up and learn about Jesus. We love Easter. And so what I know I'm going to do is the week before Easter Sunday, I'm going to preach a message about evangelism. I'm probably going to tell a story out of the New Testament of Jesus talking about how we should go out and reach lost people. But what if believer, person who's already received, person who's already been taught, what if we all for the next 70 days stepped into becoming a teller? And we said that over the next 70 days, I'm going to be intentional about sharing my faith with other people. Can I tell you, lives would be changed, families would be reached, schools would be impacted. We have to make a shift from just receiving to giving. Just this week, um, a couple ladies from Living Church went to a woman's conference at another church. It was incredible. They learned all kinds of things. And one of them took a picture from the back of the room. It was this great big church with thousands of seats. And they said, they tagged me in the post and said, Pastor Trustin, this looks like the future of Living Church. You know what? It was so, so much encouragement came into my heart because they understand what God's doing here. And right now in this season of Living Church, we're in a unique time. We're in a weird time. Even right now, as I'm re-preaching this message, I realize what a weird time that we're in. We're doing setup and teardown at Willie Pig. We're in between buildings. We just acquired our North Campus that we're barely got all put together. We don't even have doors on the back of the auditorium. Things are not finished here. We're at a weird time. But someday, we're going to be a church that has sustainability. 
We're going to be a church that has influence. We're going to have a church building that we don't have to run cords and we don't have to keep using these wired mics that God's setting us up for the future. But do you know what it takes? It takes men and women to believe that there's more. It takes men and women to not just receive, but it takes men and women to say, you know what, I'm going to step into a new season to be a giver, to be an apostle, to tell, to show, to represent Jesus well. And I know it's hard, man. I know some of the things that I'm saying might even be convicting you a little bit in your heart. My only goal is to shovel some fertilizer onto your life. Because I'm not asking you to do more for me. I'm asking you to do more for you. Because what we, would, what we would invest into the Lord, he would return a hundredfold into our lives. As I was reading this week through the calling of the 12 disciples, I noticed something. And I want to point out some details about these 12 disciples who became apostles. Like I said, Jesus did not find his ambassadors at the synagogue. He did not find them among the rich and the wealthy. He found them in some very odd places. First, I want to look at Peter. We know Peter as Saint Peter. I googled him. Check out this picture of what the internet says Saint Peter looked like. Man, he looks holy. Doesn't he look so put together? This guy looks like he should be teaching Bible college. But the Bible talks to us about who Peter was, and it tells us that he was impulsive. He was rash. He was harsh. He was irritable. He was quick to anger. Peter was quick to jump into a fight. Peter was one of these guys that wanted to make it happen within his own power. I can relate. Peter, when his back was against the wall, he pulled out a sword and chopped off a dude's ear, and Jesus had to do a miracle to heal him. Peter got nervous, and he denied Jesus and then cussed out a whole crowd of people. Peter was not the holy man many times that we picture him to be externally. Jesus shouldn't have picked Peter to be the leader of the disciples. But he did. Because Jesus saw something in Peter that nobody else saw. I think of Andrew, one of Jesus' disciples. You know, Andrew was negative. At the feeding of the 5,000, the little boy walks up with his lunch and says, here, I've got some fish and some loaves. And Andrew says, that's not enough. Get out of here, kid. He was negative, but yet Jesus chose him to be an apostle. I think of James and John, the brothers who were fishermen. Jesus gave these two guys a nickname. I love it that Jesus had inside jokes with his disciples. He called them the sons of thunder. And the reason he gave them this nickname is because one time they were traveling through a city named Samaria, where there was a lot of people that were far from God there. And James and John got frustrated with the people in Samaria, and they said, God, or Jesus, let's call down thunder and smite them. And Jesus was like, hey, guys, chill out, relax. We need to love them and speak some life into them. Jesus chose these guys who sometimes had a bad attitude. Then we have Philip, that Jesus chose to be an apostle. You know, Philip was always throwing out numbers. He was the numbers guy in the team. And he was full of confusion and doubt and fear. And he would say, we don't have what it takes. We can't do these things, Jesus. Or about Bartholomew. Do you know that, that he talked trash about Jesus' hometown? He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? He was negative, but yet Jesus called him to become a representation of what he was doing. Or Thomas. 
Thomas actually has a nickname too. He has a colloquialism in our culture known as Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, because he didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And even though he had doubt, Jesus picked him to be one of his representatives. And I know for us that some of us have doubt. We have areas in life that it feels like we don't understand these spiritual concepts. Can I tell you that even in your doubt, Jesus has a plan and he wants to use you. Maybe Matthew is the greatest representation of Jesus using unlikely people. You know, Matthew was a tax collector. And in the Bible, when they would list people, they would say like sinners and prostitutes, they would throw tax collectors in right there with those levels of sinners. It was such a big deal because in this time of the world, the Romans had came in and invaded Israel. And the way that the Romans were pulling money, pulling taxes, is they hired Jewish people to tax their neighbors. And so these people were like traitors. Matthew was a traitor. He was hated by his own people, hated, but yet Jesus called him to come and be an apostle. And then right after Matthew, Jesus calls Simon the Zealot. Zealot was his political affiliation. The Zealots hated the Romans and they wanted to overthrow the Romans and they made a pact to kill Romans any opportunity they could. So one guy, Matthew, works for the Romans and the other guy, Simon, wants to kill the Romans. But Jesus brought both of them together onto his team to be apostles. And what I've learned over these last 18 months of chaos here with the pandemic and with the political climate is that Jesus will cause you to work with people that might have different political views than you. But we need to get past our political ideologies and understand what we're doing here. We're talking about the love of Jesus, and we can't get so caught up in other things that we forget about being tellers of the goodness of God. And then Judas. Jesus picked Judas to be one of his tellers to be one of his representatives. Judas was stealing money out of the ministry budget. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and betrayed him, but yet Jesus picked him. It's really encouraging to me that Jesus picked Judas because sometimes in ministry, people will betray you. People that you thought were gonna be with you all of a sudden become against you. And I think that it's good for me to see Judas because if it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to me. (laughs) Jesus was such an incredible leader, yet someone turned their back on him. And maybe you're out there and you're a pastor or you're in ministry or you're a business owner and someone you loved turned their back on you. Can I just tell you, you're in good company. If it happened to Jesus, it's probably going to happen to us. All of these men that Jesus picked were unlikely. But not only were the men unlikely who spread the message of Jesus, the women were unlikely. I think of Mary Magdalene, who wasn't an official apostle of Jesus, but she was with him all the time. She was there at his death, and she was the first person to see him resurrected. She's the first person that Jesus showed himself to after the resurrection. She was the first person that went out and preached and said, he is risen. And do you know about Mary? She used to be a prostitute who was demon-possessed. Jesus should have not picked her, but he did. 
He looked past her problems and into her potential, and he used her to do something great. I was reading this week, and I noticed that the longest conversation Jesus had with anyone in the New Testament, one-on-one conversation, was with a woman who was sitting at a well drawing water in the middle of the day. She was a Samaritan woman. She was an outcast. And the longest one-on-one conversation Jesus had was with her? Why would he pick her? Why would he select this lady to have this long dialogue with? It's because Jesus looks past what other people see, and he sees into something beyond what we can understand. Jesus picked her. And that woman he talked with, he sent back to her hometown, and through her testimony, the whole city was reached. These are the people that Jesus picked. He picked to pour his teaching into, and he allowed to be tellers, proclaimers of his message. This is how Jesus built his church. And as you look at it from the outside, Jesus picked the wrong team. He should have went to the synagogue. He should have went to find the nobles or the elected officials. He should have found the rich and the eloquent and the educated. But instead, Jesus found some criminals and some street thugs. He went and he found some dudes that were swindlers. He found some guys that would cuss you out at the drop of a hat. He found a couple women with bad reputations, but yet he used them to change the world. It's the year of Jesus here at Living Church, and we're seeing the character of God in the character of Jesus. And just like Jesus picked unlikely people, today, God uses unlikely people. So if you're watching this and you feel like you're not someone who God would want to use, you've got to see who he's been using He's been using men and women who don't make sense. He's been using men and women with a horrible past. But this is how God is building his church. Right now, at Living Church, God is using people with a bad background to build a great future for his church. Right now, we have apostles at Living Church who are recovering drug addicts. But they've turned from new believer to disciple into apostle. We have inmates who are now helping lead the charge at Living Church. We have people who are one month sober alcoholics who are stepping into telling their friends about God's love. We have strippers who are leading in incredible ways. We have ex-prostitutes that are leading in incredible ways. They are building God's church. We have men and women who dabbled in witchcraft and sorcery and they've put down their tarot cards and their crystals and they sat under some teaching and they've stepped into becoming a teller of the goodness of Jesus. I don't care who you are, God wants to use you. God is using thieves and liars and manipulators and he's teaching them and allowing them to become tellers. Black, white, red, brown, no matter your color, no matter your race, God has a calling on your life and he wants to use you to reach people for him. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Right now at Living Church, God's using people in their 80s and he's using people who are eight years old to do ministry. This is how God is building his church is through unlikely people. He's using men and women all across our city to have major impact in our community. The question is, what are you doing with the things that you've been learning? You've been doing the Bible studies. You've been listening online. You've been engaging with the content that Living Church is putting out. But it's time for you to step from just becoming a learner into becoming a teller. 
And again, that means more than going out and preaching a message on a street corner. One of the ways that we tell is through serving. Right now, there's people in this room that are running cameras and pushing buttons. Do you know what they're doing? They're helping tell the message of Jesus. Yesterday, we had men and women show up at 6 a.m. to unload trailers. They were helping tell the message of Jesus. We have people that serve in our kids' ministry that are bouncing babies on their knee. Do you know what they're doing? They're helping tell the message of Jesus to the younger generation. What are you doing with all the education that you've received to help reach people? Are you giving? One of the most important things that we can do to help broadcast the gospel, the story of Jesus, is to faithfully give, is to be generous. Maybe you live in another state. Maybe you engage with the content that Living Church has online all the time and you've never invested in the ministry. What if you started? What if one of the ways that you became an apostle to step into this new level of leadership was to say, you know what, I'm going to help broadcast the message that Living Church is producing to help them flourish, to reach more people. We are called not just to be receivers, but we're called to be givers. We're called to help impact our world. And I'm so glad that you're taking the moment to join us today online and maybe you're here and you've been listening to this message and you think, Pastor Trustin, I haven't even taken the first step of becoming a new believer. You know, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But that God loved us so much that he made a way where there was no way so that we could become saved. No matter how hard we try, we can't clean ourselves up. Only God can do that. And all we have to do is ask him to. So today, if you want to take the next step. If you want to ask Jesus into your heart, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I just want to ask that you pray it with me wherever you are watching. And God's going to meet you. I know me and you aren't in the same room, but God's power is everywhere and he's always with you. So if you want to get right with God today, just pray this prayer with me. God, forgive me my sins and come into my heart. From this day forward, I'm going to choose to live for you. I want you to wash away my past. I want you to make me new. And from this day, I'm going to do my best to follow you. And I believe because of your love, my best days are still ahead of me. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer with me just now, it was simple. But it's the beginning of a new relationship with Jesus. It's not the finish line. It's the starting point. It's the beginning point of what God has for you next. And I want you to continue to engage with us online here at Living Church. If you live in another state and you're trying to grow in your relationship with God, a few months ago, we did a series called How to Hear from God. And in that series, we have a lot of different details about how to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And I'd encourage you to go and watch that. Maybe binge watch that instead of binge watching something else so you can keep growing in your relationship with Jesus. And for our Living Church family that lives in the area but wasn't able to be here next Sunday, I can't wait to see you back at Willie Pig Auditorium. We love you guys so much. Thanks for joining us today.